Apparently, the average age where a child, yes, child, will begin to consume porn is now 12 years old. Let's talk about this and what we can do as parents to protect our children from porn consumption. This is HiFam. I'm Avital. Now, you might be listening to this and have little kids at home and think, what's this got to do with me? I'm not at that stage yet. It does not apply. Or you might think my kids would never consume porn. It's just not something that we have around. They don't have access to it. We have limited screen time. Or you might think, and so what if they do? Porn is just part of sexual development these days. It's just part of our culture. And what's the big deal? And I totally get it. None of us wants to think about the effects of porn on our children. None of us needs yet another thing to worry about when it comes to raising kids. It's hard enough just keeping them safe and healthy and educated. However, because there has been such a meteoric rise in the use of ever more digital, vivid, uh, real, you know, alive (laughs) pornographic materials in the form of videos, in the form of chat rooms, of live streaming, of OnlyFans, um, of all sorts of technological ways that people can consume ever more realistic and real uh, pornographic materials, porn has become a detrimental and devastatingly dangerous um, aspect uh, and issue that children are going to be exposed to even by accident. Just this week, one of my students in the studio said that her child was exposed to porn on her Kindle. She was just browsing for a book and she came across pornographic material. The truth is that even in children's libraries, even in school libraries these days, you will find pornographic content. You will even find it on regular advertisements that are just running on the TV or in magazines that you buy uh, for other purposes like design or house and garden. You will find imagery that is pornographic or that could be classified as pornographic depending on your level of sensitivity to it. Over time, I've become more and more sensitive to these images and more and more aware of their detrimental effects. And the research is very, very clear on just how detrimental um, pornographic consumption is, right? It poses several risks, particularly for children and teens who are so impressionable and young. For example, porn promotes a distorted view on relationships and sex. It often presents unrealistic and exaggerated depictions of sexual relationships, which can lead to this distorted view on intimacy, on consent, on healthy relationships. Young viewers may also develop unrealistic expectations about sex, about body image, about performance, which can negatively impact their own relationships and self-esteem. If they're early imagery that is imprinted on their impressionable minds is of completely unrealistic bodies, completely unrealistic sexual encounters, sexual pleasure, sexual performance. These are the types of things that are imprinted on their minds and it becomes that gold standard. It becomes the goalpost that they believe they should be able to hit and aim for, that they believe they should be able to look like that they should experience. And real human sexual experiences, real human sexual contact, you know, it's gonna, it's never gonna live up to that. It's never gonna look like that. It's gonna be a lot more complex and messy and and emotional. And uh, they're getting completely distorted views on what to expect, on how to behave. Porn is also addictive. 
right? Frequent exposure to pornography leads to this addiction-like behavior as the brain becomes desensitized to certain stimuli and seeks more explicit or extreme content to achieve the same level of arousal. So again, we are setting our children up if they do consume any type of pornography uh, to need greater and greater and more and more extreme um, exposure, more and more extreme stimuli. They need things to be even, you know, more plastic or or bigger or more aggressive or more violent or just more extreme in all sorts of ways. And it becomes an escalating pattern of consumption that can be really challenging to break free from. Those dopamine hits, um, that desensitization, you know, you have to become resensitized to what a real human man and woman look like, uh, what real human interactions are, um, you know, what it takes to create that kind of intimacy in real life. Um, and it becomes a, an addiction that actually pulls them away from other activities, right? People who are addicted to anything have trouble functioning in their regular life because they're always drawn back into their addiction. And I've heard first count, uh, firsthand accounts of people who have struggled with sex addiction or with porn addiction and how just how extreme uh, their level of need is in order to reach uh, some kind of pleasure or some kind of satisfaction. It becomes completely unrealistic and untenable. Porn often objectifies and dehumanizes individuals. In fact, the industry itself is an objectifying and dehumanizing industry. It's an extremely exploitative industry. Um, the vast majority of porn workers are not, you know, happy sex workers by choice. The vast majority are in dire straits and have no other means of uh, making ends meet. And Many, many porn workers, um, you know, will defend their industry to begin with. Um, we'll say it's a choice. We'll say it's a valid choice just like any other. And it's, you know, it's a liberating choice and all sorts of things like that. And I'm sure for a small minority, that's true. But for most of the people in the industry, um, they wish they could do something else. They grow to regret it. Uh, they feel exploited. They are often under extreme duress and complete coercion. And then the content that's created also promotes this level of sexual objectification and degrading attitudes, right? It, it portrays humans as objects of sexual desire. And continuous exposure to such material can contribute to the development of degrading attitudes towards others, particularly towards women, and can normalize coercive or non-consensual behaviors. If you are you know, participating in viewing, consuming uh, this art form, if you could call it that, um, that exploits uh, the weakest people in our society, um, that objectifies people as objects of desire, that does not take into account context and emotions and connection and intimacy and commitment and loyalty and all of those things, um, then you're absolutely normalizing the idea that, yeah, coercion, um, duress, extreme situations of objectification, um, degrading, these are all normal. Pornography also leads to unrealistic understanding of consent and of context um, and of relationships. It frequently portrays scenes that may not depict clear boundaries or consent. It does not depict emotional safety, emotional commitment. It completely divorces sex from love um, it leads to a misunderstanding of what healthy consent looks like in real life relationships, 
uh, of the context of consent. You know, I'm not such a fan of talking purely about consent. I think it's really just the lowest possible threshold we could talk about when it comes to sexuality. It really is kind of the last stop of the train. I think there are so many other things we need to bring in to our children's awareness as they grow into sexual beings as adults. And one of the things is relationships and the context of sex. And I think it's terrible to portray sex as something that is separate from love, that is separate from emotional connection. Um, pornography is a depiction in an, the entire industry is the idea that sex is something that stands alone, that sex can be casual, that sex should be casual, that it's really just another physical urge, another itch that you need to scratch. It's just like any other need that you might have, like hunger, and that it's not meaningful. And I think, you know, personally, that's not the message I want to give my children. Um, I don't think that's healthy for boys or girls. I don't think it's healthy for society. Um, and it really is going to lead to a completely misunderstanding of what healthy relationships look like and what sex actually means, right? This absolutely impacts a young person's ability to understand and respect boundaries. And it potentially contributes to harmful behaviors, to a cheapening of their own self and of others, um, to really kind of superficial, uh, shallow, meaningless, plastic uh, interactions where it's transactional, uh, where they just are doing something for the momentary pleasure of it. It's very short-sighted. Um, and there are serious emotional and psychological consequences. Research suggests that frequent consumption of pornography can lead to negative emotional and psychological effects, including decreased self-esteem, no surprise there, anxiety, depression, body dissatisfaction, of course, and a sense of inadequacy, right? We can't ever measure up to those scenes. No one ever wants us the way people are wanted in, you know, in pornographic scenes. Uh, life doesn't just pan out that way that, you know, every delivery man who opens the door, you know, is, is super excited to get into bed with us. Or um, every girl we look at just immediately uh, <laughs> pounces on us. Um, and these consequences can be particularly pronounced among young and impressionable individuals. Of course it can, right? When you're young and you're seeing all these scenes and this becomes real to you, uh, this seems like, oh, this is what is upheld by our society. This is ideal. Then, of course, you're going to think that that's how it should be for you as well. Hey, we'll be right back to the show. But real quick, I need to ask you, do you want to know how I kept my day job, started a side hustle and built my business from scratch while birthing, feeding, raising and schooling my five children at home? Well, there are many things that go into it, but the key that made the most difference by far is that my children play independently for hours at a time. No, they are not unicorn children. There's nothing special about them, although they are special to me. All children are designed to play independently for hours a day. Yeah, even yours. But in our culture, play has been stolen, which is tragic because play is so good for kids and also such a breather for us adults. If your child is clinging, reliant on screens or on you for entertainment, you need to check out my new free masterclass, How to Transform Your Home into a Play-Inducing Haven. In it, I will break down how to get your child playing independently with the play zones that every child needs. Go to reclaimplay.com forward slash haven. Okay, back to the show. 
So what are we parents to do? What are we parents to do with all of that? Well, the first thing I want to tell you is, if you're here and you're listening to this, I want to empower you to take a stand on this, to fight back, not to think, well, it won't happen to my kids or, well, it's not that important or, well, porn is just porn. No big deal. I've consumed some porn in my life. My husband's consumed some porn. Everyone consumes it. It's not such a big deal. I I encourage you not to brush it off. I think this is a far more serious risk than many of us maybe think of. Um, So I encourage you not to brush it off. I also encourage you not to practice hope parenting where you're just like, well, I hope my child knows what to do. If they come across this, they know they're good kids. They know that they shouldn't be looking at that stuff. Um, These images are so attractive, are so mesmerizing, are so fascinating, are so seductive. Um, they're so extreme and pornographic that they pull people in. I mean, it's it's really not a testament to someone's character or to someone's values or morality if they do begin looking or if they do get addicted. It's a testament to just how addictive uh, this substance is. Uh, I really think we need to start treating it like a drug um, and have an absolutely just say no approach to porn. Um, so, that starts way before uh, you think there's any risk of your child coming across porn. You know, I like to say that parenting a 15-year-old starts when they're five. Parenting a 13-year-old starts when they're three, right? Everything starts at least 10 years earlier because you set the groundwork, you set the foundation for the future conversations, for the future expectations much early on. So the first step that I personally take in order to protect my children against this industry is that I give them an early sex education at home. I take their sex education into my own hands. I want my children to know that I and my husband are a trusted source of information. We are the people they should go to when they want the right, correct answers. We will tell them the truth every single time. And that's why we have an absolutely no lying policy to our children. We don't fib. We don't tell white lies. We don't brush off. Uh, subjects, we always tell them the truth, even if it's hard to say, even if it's hard to choke it out, right? To actually say the words, um, we tell them the truth. Now, in sex education, we're actually very proactive. So we sit them down, we sit them down several times. um, And it's not really sitting them down. It's not some official conversation. But even as young as four years old, we're talking to them about exactly how babies are made, what the mechanics of it, what the biology of it is. We don't leave Um, key details out about exactly how it happens. We don't just say, oh, something from the daddy goes into something from the mummy, right? We are um, clear. We use real terminology, anatomical terminology. um, And we actually kind of follow up a couple of times, you know, four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old. Hey, you remember how babies are made, right? You you understood the mechanics of that. Um, And we make sure that they have the biology down. Now, the conversation does not end at biology. It only starts there. And I think one of the things that we are very, you know, kind of um, squirmish about as parents today is giving any kind of uh, direction and judgment really on values, on ethics, on morality. I don't think you can have a conversation about sex and just stay in the realm of the technical. I mean, you can for a little while, you can in the beginning, But eventually you owe it to your children to give them guidance on what constitutes a good and healthy and moral and ethical and, uh, you know, wise 
approach to sex. Now, I realize that this is highly individual and it's going to change from culture to culture. Um, your approach to sex, to casual sex, to sex uh, before marriage, all of those things are highly individual. They're based on, they're based on your um, religion and your value system and the context which you live in, etc. Um, I can tell you some of the things that I believe and that I share with my children, but this is the type of thing I think that we need to share with children. And I'd, I'd be happy to do another podcast another time um, outlining these and actually explaining why I think each of these is a good idea. And maybe you'll choose to adopt them as well. Some of mine are that, first of all, sex is for grown-ups. You absolutely have to be a grown-up to have sex. It is not something for children. So when I explain about the biology of making babies, for example, I make it very clear that this is something that grown-ups do. And this is part of the conversation about safety and about, um, you know, tricky people and about knowing that if someone wants to see your private parts or touch them or wants you to touch theirs, that means they're doing something completely inappropriate and you need to yell no and run away because anything to do with sex is only ever for grown-ups. It's not appropriate for anyone to involve children in that in any kind of way. And if they're doing that, there's something wrong with them and they're not safe people to be around. So that's a really important thing for children to know. And I think for some reason, uh, people are really shying away from that today and people are becoming more and more comfortable with sexual innuendo, with sexual content, with sexual strip shows and uh, drag shows and all sorts of shows that have explicit sexual content in them for kids. Um, I, I'm a complete and utter no on anything sexual around children. I think it's completely inappropriate and wildly predatory. And it's actually really important that our children hear from their grown-ups that any grown-up who's doing anything sexual around children is someone to steer clear of, someone to report, someone to run away from. So that's number one. The second thing that I share with my children is that I believe that sex is for committed, loving relationships. Now, that might be in the context of marriage, in our context it is, but either way, it needs to be in a a relationship that is committed and that involves emotional connection, that involves love, that sex is a uh, is something that is reserved for people who are committed to each other. Um, again, that's something I can expand on another time. I'll just run through this list quickly because I think it's helpful. Um, one amazing key piece of advice that I heard from Jordan Peterson is the idea that you should never do something with someone that you can't talk about with them. If you're too shy to talk to the person about it, if you can't put words to it, then you're not ready yet. Your relationship is not yet ready to do it. And I think that's a really good indicator and a really good barometer um, for our children to know. It's like, if you can't discuss this with your partner, uh, of course, not children, <laughs> our children, our grown children, yes, um, then that's something that you shouldn't be doing with them. Um, and that's even true, you know, maybe teenagers having their first kiss or something like that. It's like, if you would too uncomfortable to talk about it, don't do it. Um, I will be teaching my children that there is no such thing as casual sex because I believe that sex is very powerful and very meaningful. Um, and I don't believe it's just another physical itch to scratch. And I would never want my children to treat their bodies or treat other people's bodies in that kind of way. I think that level of intimacy and closeness and risk um, is really powerful. Um, it has the power to create new life. And anything that has that kind of power shows me uh, that it's not something that can be taken casually. I also think there's just such great, you know, statistics to point this out, because even if someone's on birth control, there's still 
massive risk. There's still risk of pregnancy. There's still risk of disease. And, um, you know, that's that's the last thing that I, I think we should be sharing with our children is that sex is always risky. It always comes with risk. There is no such thing as risk-free sex. And it should be done only with someone that you would be okay living out the consequences of those risks with, right? If sex did result in pregnancy, is this someone who you would want to raise your children with you to be partnered with for absolute life, right? <laughs> Whether or not you stay together as a couple, you will now be partnered for life raising children. That's something you need to be able to consider before you are intimate with someone. So I believe that we should be teaching our children that sex is extremely meaningful and important. Uh, I think we can do away with a lot of the shame uh, and a lot of the fear around it, but I think we need to maintain the gravitas and the, the meaning. So that is actually just all step one. That was all step one, which was early sex education at home, conversations with our children, not just about the mechanics, but about the morality, uh, about the um, wisdom right? About the behavior, about the thought process, about the mindset that I think we want to help them develop around sex so that they don't get sidelined and side blinded by crazy ideas that they're going to be exposed to even in their own school libraries, right? Uh, even on just social media apps for children. So the next step that I would look at is delaying screen usage. Um, not you know, a family movie here and there, not playing some games like Osmo or whatever, Super Mario. I think you can certainly use screens uh, sparingly, but, you know, as entertainment, um, as education, as a way of connecting with the grandparents, all of that stuff is great. But I mean social media uh, and I mean open internet. Okay. I think social media and just open internet is something that should be delayed as much as possible. Um, and should always be in the family space. It should be in the living room uh, or the dining room or whatever, or the kitchen, right? Somewhere where other people can see what's on your screen. Other people could walk by. Uh, it's never behind a closed door. Um, and you don't have your own screen, your own phone in your pocket that just has access to YouTube, for example, right? Um, if your child has a phone, then you need to use parental controls. You need to make sure there is no TikTok. There is no ability to browse, um, you know, random websites. Um, so really the rule here would be no screens until teens and even late teens uh, with regards to these types of apps. Um, but even so, children are going to be exposed to these things. And we actually need to teach our children what pornography is. We need to use the word porn. We need to tell them that it's imagery that is violent, that is crude, uh, that is sexual, uh, that involves nudity, um, that involves people showing off their bodies, uh, people touching each other, people doing things to each other that are sexual in content. And that if they see images like that, that they should look away and they should hand it to a grown-up and they should say the words, I found porn right? We need to actually tell them those are the steps. If you see an image like that, look away, hand it to a grown-up, say, oh, I found porn, right? Think about it like this. If a child came across, say, a lit cigarette stub, right? Like a cigarette that was still uh, smoking, we would want them to say, we would want them not to touch it. We want them to come to a parent and say, oh no, there's a, there's a lit cigarette here. And the parent could stamp it out and throw it away. 
we would not want them to pick it up and start smoking it, right? Start, start exposing themselves to that. Um, the thing with porn is that once you see an image, you can never unsee it. It remains impressed and imprinted on your brain for the rest of your life. And it influences every sexual encounter you have after that. And so we really do need to be kind of protectivist <laughs> around this, right? Really making sure that they know that we uh, want to know that we're there for them, that we support them, that we will uh, take it away and help them move on from it and that it's bad for them and that they don't want to see those things and that that will be scary, unpleasant, disgusting, uh, all sorts of negative uh, feelings um, that will come along with being exposed to that and that they need to hand it to us. And all they need to say is, I found porn and we will help them. So we always want to praise them and encourage them and show them that that's a good thing that they did. Well done to them for avoiding it. And remind them, you know, just, yeah, those images are really they're, they're terrible for our brains, they're terrible for our hearts. Um, we need to stay away from them and help them uh, really avoid it. Now, with all that, we've kind of focused very heavily on the negative of all of this, on the negative of porn, on the neg on saying no, of keeping them away from it, of telling them to hand it to us if they find any. Um, but I think that the flip side and perhaps the even more powerful side of this is building up the positive around this, right? Fostering healthy relationships, positive role models, encouraging healthy relationships within the family and open lines of communication. Being a positive role model by exhibiting healthy attitudes towards sexuality and relationships, right? And engaging in activities that promote connection and self-esteem and a sense of belonging, which can help reduce the appeal of seeking validation or intimacy through pornography to begin with. A child who feels they're in a safe and loving home, that they have a sense of belonging, that sexuality is not something to be ashamed of or to hide, that they can talk about it with their parents, that they can uh, see uh, parents who have a healthy relationship with their own bodies, with their own self-esteem, with pleasure, with pain, with consent, with all of those themes that come up. Um, when they see strong and powerful role models of healthy relationships, uh, of um, you know, human, real, deep, intimate, loyal, connected, committed relationships, um, they're much less likely to be vulnerable um, or to be drawn to those images. They're more likely to find them repulsive, which is appropriate. They are repulsive. Um, they should find that type of degrading and objectification of sexuality repulsive. And they'll do so when they see, uh, you know, couples around them. No, obviously, they're not privy to those couples' sex life, but when they see couples around them who treat each other with respect, who value each other, who complement each other, uh, who are happy together, who are committed to each other, right? And there is something almost, you know, by osmosis uh, because it's such, such a private issue. But I do believe that parents who have a healthy sexuality between them exude uh, and teach and show in a subconscious level what that means, what that type of privacy is, what that type of loyalty and commitment and intimacy looks like. Um, so children might not be able to see that, of course, but they, I think, can feel it. And I think we can even communicate it kind of, you know, modestly and respectfully and gently. Um, but to say that, you know, that relation, that people who are in a committed relationship, who love each other uh, and who have a healthy sexual life, find it deeply meaningful and fulfilling. And it's the truth. Uh, it's the truth. People, for example, who are married have a lot more sex and a lot more satisfying sex uh, than people who are not. Um, that's just one statistic to illustrate what I'm trying to 
uh, <laughs> delicately describe here. But the idea is that, uh, yeah, there's something very shiny and glossy and seductive um, about uh, the porn industry, about hookup culture, about casual sex, um, about the idea that sex is just for fun. Um, sure, I get it. There's something, there's a draw. Uh, it's, it sounds alluring. Um, but these ideas outlive themselves really fast. They get old and tired very quickly. But more than that, uh, they get painful and traumatic and desensitizing and degrading um, and depressing really quickly. So ideas that initially seem like a good idea, like a fun idea, like, oh, yeah, 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 just live for pleasure and live for the moment and use people like objects and let people use you like an object. Um, you know, can I understand the initial draw to that kind of freedom? Sure. But it's no kind of freedom at all. That's the truth. And I think our children need that guidance. I think this generation hasn't received it from their parents. Their parents are really squeamish to say, that's not a good way of treating your body or letting others treat you. It's not a good way of treating other people. That doesn't lead to long-term happiness and joy. That doesn't bring health. That doesn't bring the type of stability and love and intimacy that you're looking to seek. I know it seems like it will. Uh, I know initially it's fun. Um, but people who engage in that kind of culture end up suffering tremendously for the most part. And it's really important that we aren't uncomfortable sharing that with our children so that they know and that they're set up for success and that they have the tools and the understanding of what and that healthy sexual life does not involve porn. Now, will they sometimes perhaps be exposed? Sure. And do we need to shame them for it? No. We need to help them and help them to build a schedule and a life that is full, that is compelling, that is exciting, that will keep them busy and engaged so that they don't have hours locked in their room with a screen to do nothing but consume porn, right? Which is what's happening to so many teens around the world. All right. So remember, open communication, clear boundaries, parental controls and filters, and just educating ourselves and staying on top of it, not uh, not practicing hope parenting and just hoping that this will never happen, not assuming that it won't. It's everywhere. But instead, empowering our children with real conversations, with real modeling, with real tools, uh, with real scripts of what to do and what to say when they do come across these ideas and how to process them, right? Telling them, hey, these are, you know, bad images. They're aggressive. They're violent. They're unrealistic. They're fake. Uh, and they're really gross. And you don't need that in your life. I hope you found this episode interesting and enlightening, or maybe you found it confronting and you feel a lot of resistance coming up. Either way, that's great. My goal here is to promote open, honest conversation and real deep dives and looks at the true issues that are facing us today as families. So use this conversation to have one of your own with your partner, with your friend, with your child, and just with yourself. Becoming aware of and thinking about these issues is always the first step. And if you find this podcast useful, I would absolutely love it if you shared it with a friend and if you left a review. It's always wonderful to read your words and I appreciate each and every one of you for tuning in. Much love and keep on living that high fam life.